Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, it's 8 o'clock on a Wednesday evening. Lovely to have your company. This is Midweek Motorsport. We are on Series 15, episode number 29. At Norton Gray tonight, he's off to a party. Everybody wants to party, party. And, uh, and, you know, after lockdown, we're not going to deny him that. Uh, so uh, we have Nick Damon with us tonight. And on a pack show this evening, Nick, we have what? Well, John, we have all the usual features, but we've also got Richard Webb with an update from Le Mans. We have John De Geese with all the news from across the pond and in sports cars. Shayada will be unpacking the weekend of American racing. Declan Brennan will be with me to discuss MotoGP. And most importantly of all, it was an F1 race the weekend. There was. There was indeed. All right. Calm yourself, lad. Calm yourself. You may have peaked a little bit early tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Never... Not what I've heard, in fairness. <laughs> uh, tonight, before anybody asks, it was Ben's Chippy in Thrapston. Uh, Terry is back after a, a weekend off uh, having tweaked a knee. Don't ask. Really, just don't ask. It's not worth it. It really isn't. The haddock was fantastic. The chips were outstanding. Uh, and we are fully serestified for the evening. Here's what's happening on Spectatainment. Uh, Kevin Pearce says, with all the full metal racing of the weekend, it's got to be packed like sardines, listening live to hear how you achieve it. Oh, forgot to mention, we've got an exclusive coming up from uh, the 24-hour series as well. Uh, that'll be our top story in, in a moment. Martin Webster, lady, leave, uh, listening live tonight. Uh, Brody, first EFAs of the year, catching up on the weekend's coverage, but I'll be into the podcast tomorrow. Also EFAs, apologies for absence, for David, uh, sorry, Daniel Summersgill, uh, reports of a third Silverstone race if Barcelona is cancelled. Ooh, two are surely more than enough. Now, listen, I want to get the two Shires Grand Prix. I really, really do. Uh, hello to Robert Best at the Sarah Rigby. Looking forward to a pack show tonight. They've been at RAF Cosford at the museum. I am very, very envious. Alex Orkin, looking forward to a patch or uh, Freya rebuilding an old garden chair uh, after a sausage bake supper. I-, I presume one wasn't linked to the other, to be honest. Oliver Giles, listening to tonight's show, exercising in the garden. Dave Alcock, listening in tonight. Paul Sharp has been out in a Sport Turismo Panamera, which I'm very envious uh, of. Uh, and uh, Victor Ellis is in Atlanta, home alone, girls next door. Babysitting for the neighbours, settling down for Liverpool Chelsea on mute to enjoy his first midweek motorsport in months. 
Evening, y'all, I think I should say, shouldn't I? Or y'all, down there. Jeffrey Bell, uh, nice to know you're listening this evening. Dead Squirrel, Carol Brink from home, and the Artichoke Seed Cleaning Bumper as well. Dead Squirrel is in Ras, walking the old track tomorrow. Oh, fantastic. Mike Sargent, no AFAs tonight. Right to a lover. Still cooking dinner, but tuned in. The Angry Pothole, listening live. While walking the dogs on North Norfolk Beach. Right, okay. And Stephen Gardner listening. Uh, very interested about John DeGeese on the Pens- Penske Acura split. Chris Suku, Wednesday already. No AFAs. Uh, in the study, working and listening. David Raleigh, back and listening in tonight. Keep it coming, please. At Specutainment. Here's the top story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Time for a bit more of a good news story. Always nice to have those on Midweek Motorsport. Welcome to uh, MWM again from Creventic, Evo Broikers. Evo, thanks for joining us tonight and thanks for giving us uh, first crack at this information I say it's a good news story. It almost ended up as a as a bad news story. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about what's happened. Uh, what's happened to Imola first of all on the Kreventnik calendar? Yeah, John, that's correct. Um, in the week leading up to the 12 hours of Monza, um, we were in touch with the with the circuit, which we have a very good relationship with, and um, yeah, there was some some. Um, some discussions about noise issues, calendar issues, and um, there was something going on. Together with the circuit, we came to the conclusion it would be better to uh, postpone maybe the event uh, because to find another date this year was a little bit difficult. Now I see rumors popping up that maybe Formula One uh, would go to Imola, so that might have been connected or not. Anyway, we were faced to... um, yeah, to to find another location, and unfortunately, we uh, we think we have found something very special. And that is where we come to the good news side of things. We've lost potentially that race at Imola, which I have to say, I love Imola as a as a venue. Tell us some good news then. So here's the good news part of the story: no Imola, but replaced on the same weekend with somewhere very special indeed. Yes, in the same weekend and even in the same country, but then we will go a little bit more south and we will go to um, Autodromo di uh, Pergusa, which is, uh, is a historical circuit uh, in the middle of uh, Sicily, uh, near to Anna. Um, it's a very special place. The, the circuit um, is situated, uh, situated around a, a lake, Lago di Pergusa. They built it in uh, 1951 quite a while ago and um, even it has hosted some uh, Formula 1 races non-championship Formula 1 races but um, and after that uh, it went quiet a little bit and um, the circuit was not very well maintained and uh, I think in the last 16-17 um, years no major uh, international event have, has taken place there uh, but recently they uh, have resurfaced uh, the, the whole asphalt and the whole track and it's uh, ready to race again. I remember following the World Sports Car Championship, the Group 6 cars, late in the 1970s. And I remember, I'm pretty certain, that's where Leila Lombardi got a first World Championship win for a female driver. And, and I think our co-driver was Enrico Grimaldi. 
uh, Alfa Romeo, I think. Uh, so plenty of sports car history there as well. People will remember F3000 there. But as you say, it's, it's sort of been left out in the wilderness for a wee while. The last races I can find there, uh, I, I think, were for Superstars and European Touring Car Cup in 2012, 13 and 14. So, so this is the first big international event there for quite some time. How did this come about? Because, uh, come on, Evo, I know how good you guys are at Creventic, but what did you do? Just ring up a whole load of race circuits and see if there was a free weekend? Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> it was coincidence. Uh, we were in touch with Michael uh, Merandino, uh, which was the, 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 the son of the... the, the last uh, winners of the Targa Florio and he um, he was in contact with the circuit and they were looking for some some events and then um, then he invited uh, me to go there because I, I knew that the circuit was around a, a lake but I also knew that that um, yeah that, 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 that it was not very well maintained and there was no major event so I was very skeptic um, but uh, he invited me there. I, we got in touch with the with the management of the circuit. They showed me around the track, and uh, it had really this 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 classic historic old school feeling, a little bit like Monza. Very high speed corners, uh, chicanes. Um, uh, so it will be a, a lot of full throttle uh, racing. Then then in this whole combination of uh, 12 hours of of Imola, um, getting into to to troubles. Yeah, we set out and to to make an agreement, and um, I must say I'm I'm very happy um, with the circuit, also um, what they're offering to us and for the teams, and um, I'm I'm sure we can offer the teams a very very special weekend and a special environment. Crucially, as well, I think, and and from a his, an historical perspective, speaking to the family as you were means that there's a very special name given to the race on the 9th, 10th and 11th of October. And that's maybe the most special thing about this event. Um, through Michele, we got in touch with uh, Chico, um, Chico Palandino Florio. And uh, Chico Florio is the grandson of the, the great uh, Vincenzo Florio, who started um, in um, 1905 the Coppa Florio. And uh, one year later, uh, he was the in- initiator of um, the Targa Florio, very well known to um, to everybody, uh, the one of one of the biggest races in history. Uh, it was even uh, very be- uh, big and world known before uh, Le Mans and then the Mille Miglia was uh, was was started. We visited his house and we we were in Casa Florio, which is a historical house for Vincenzo Florio and. Chico was a very nice guy, and 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 he was explaining a lot about the Targa Florio, the Coppa Florio, about the life of Vincenzo, who was a motorist uh, enthusiast. Uh, he, he was born in 1883. He uh, he set his life uh, in 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 support of, of autosport and supporting uh, for promoting C- Sicily. Then talking about this, and uh, we were just uh, yeah have, having uh, some uh, small cup of wines, and then. Uh, <laughs> Certainly, we suggested it would be great uh, if we could revive this Copa Floria race series, which uh, originally started in uh, 1905. 
Chico Flori was immediately very enthusiastic and um, as a part of contributing the legacy of, uh, of Vincenzo Florio, we are granted the rights to, to name this Copa Florio, going back to history and that is really very special. It's been a funny year, hasn't it? Let's be honest, even if you take COVID out, the fact that we got the Reindorf event partway through Dubai, then we had a great comeback event in the Algarve, at Potimao, and then we had an extraordinary weather event at Monza, but still managed to get the racing done, and well done, everybody, for that. I just want to point out, and I'm not joking here, that in 1996, the Formula 3000 race was stopped by a plague of frogs at Ennepagusa, so you do know you're letting yourself in for something quite extraordinary. I am not kidding you, a plague of baby frogs famously invaded in their thousands from the lake, so you're putting yourselves out there (laughs) as far as that's concerned, Evo. I've heard about this story, yes, indeed, and I heard many weeks later, all the teams are still finding dead frogs in their trucks and, and cars, and Uh, smelling awfully the serious part of this is how you guys have been able to very quickly adapt to what you guys have produced as a calendar to continue for the whole season um you're not a big organization you're a very professional organization do you think it's helped being such a small enthusiastic professional organization for you guys to be able to be dynamic and and adapt to the situation which has been changing so quickly here in Europe. Yes, I like to think so. Um, if you look at our team, we have a small team. We are very flexible. We're trying to look at opportunities. We're trying to be positive. And if there is somewhere we, we see an opportunity and we think our customers, our, our race teams will will be happy about it, we, we're trying to, uh, to put that in place. And that's um, just what was happening also with the first race in the Algarve. Um, we saw the possibility. And uh, we said to each other, we can say no, we can wait another few weeks, but we can also try to, to get racing uh, going again in Europe. And um, yeah, we we very well prepared it uh, with all kind of COVID protocols. Uh, uh, Things are different, uh, but in the end, in the end, we were racing again, and we are very proud of that and happy about that. And um, together with us, uh, our teams, uh, they also liked it very much, and uh, they were proud to be uh, have been part of that. And the same counts for for Monza. Uh, there, we have already had some some more teams. Uh, it's new for a lot of teams. Traveling is always an issue, and you have to be careful. But on the other hand, John, uh, what we found out. Um, we have a strict protocol, uh, teams are being together, and in the end, I've, we felt a little bit more safe safe on the track, on the paddock, <laughs> than later on in the, in the city, in the, in the restaurant. So yes. I think we're doing a good job, and uh, we hope uh, things will slowly getting uh, back to normal. Uh, the next race is one of the, the big traditional events for Creventic, the 24 hours of Catalonia at Barcelona in the first weekend of September. Actually, that date hasn't changed. That is where it was meant to be. It looks like things are getting more difficult again, particularly in that part of, of Spain. Um, have you got to keep a close eye on, on that, Evo? And how will you be informed as to, as to whether that event can continue or whether that has to be modified in some way? Um, first of all, we will respect always the the, the, the local uh, protocol in place. We have very, very close contact with the circuit, and um, we we 
We've, we are following it. Um, it's much too early to say what to do. Um, as long as we can travel and we can maintain the protocol as we have did, done before, the race will be on. And um, uh, providing some other uh, um, uh, issues will, will come up, uh, which is preventing us to go there or to organize it, um, yeah, that, then things will change. Uh, what we see also to Monza, um, uh, where a lot of people uh, usually take the, the airplane to come to a circuit, they they choose to uh, to opt for for to come by car, which makes things more more safe. Um, we are following it and uh, we're trying to react uh, on the moment we we need to. Um, at the moment, uh, yeah, it's fingers crossed. Um, I have no crystal ball to look at in how things will True look in, in in two months, but. Um, it's clear that everybody in motorsport uh, uh, land uh, needs need to watch out and uh, need to take care and uh, be flexible. This is the first time I've had a chance to have a proper chat with you um, since the full calendar, revised calendar, was was uh, revealed. Uh, and great news for for all of you at Kravendik is you get to go to Zandvoort, which we didn't think was going to happen yeah. this year, 13th and 14th of November. Uh, it's going to be a bit chilly and perhaps a bit windy and weather conditions yeah. might be challenging then, but you're back at Zandvoort. Yes, and to be honest, that's maybe... <laughs> Thanks to to Corona, uh, as you might know, Zandvoort has a limited amount of of noise days, as they call it here, and um, a few of them were um, were uh, meant for for the Formula One race. And um, I was in touch with with the circuit, with the management over there, and uh, as soon as the rumor started, I already tried to uh, to contact them and say, well, uh, we we can help you out if uh, Formula One will not take place. And um, yeah, gladly enough, um, there was a space in the calendar um, for both of us, and uh, we are hearing a, a lot of uh, a positive remarks from the teams. They are very glad that we are returning to Zandvoort. Um, it might not be uh, able for a lot of years to come, I think. So uh, this will one of the, be the last races of us in Zandvoort, um, keeping in mind the, the, the noise issues we have over there and. Um, I've raced in Sanford myself, I think, on the 6th of March. Um, it has modified from uh, from the old school uh, uh, circuit into the Formula One circuit, and usually that's not a good that's not good news. But in this case, uh, I can assure you, it really is. Uh, they have uh, changed two corners. The Hugenholz corner uh, is really, really very uh, challenging. You can take different lines and different lines to overtake and. Uh, uh, the, the the circuit uh, only has gone um, gone better. It's all good news uh, from you guys at the moment. Well done for getting the calendar put together. An excellent addition with N.A. Pagusa, uh, 9th, 10th and 11th of October for Copper Florio. That sounds good. Yes. Sounds good. Eva Breukers from Kreventik. Thank you very much for talking to us. Have a great season. Uh, enjoy and race well. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. Good luck for the, for the broadcast. Well, Buster, yeah, I'm going to go there. Zanvoort, I've been there. And uh, take me to Enna. Plague of Frogs, stop. even better. Enna with a Plague of Frogs. Yeah, you know how I love an amphibian stop, or a reptile. Stop it. I'm Calm just, down. I am putting my, my, my reporter's towel on the uh, sun lounger of the race. Really? Yes. Mm. The responsible adult is taking sealed bids for Enna Pagusa. Not sun lounger at Zanvoort in November. No, but Enna Pagusa. Yeah, very nice. Mm. Excellent. It's no mosquitoes at that in, time of year, it's either. It's in Sicily, so do I have to make her an offer she can't refuse? Well, almost <laughs> certainly. 
Almost certainly. Uh, all good news, as we said there. Thank you, Evo. He's gone. Uh, thank you, Evo, for breaking that news here on Midweek Motorsport. We've been sitting on that since, uh, I think it was just after the show last week. Maybe it was before the show last week, but it wasn't quite sorted at that point. Uh, Declan Brennan joins us uh, this evening live. Enipagusa, mate. Enipagusa. How good does that sound for Copper Florio? It's it's a fantastic. It's a well, it has fundamentally changed since uh, Formula Two thousand and Formula Two was going there in the in the eighties, and uh, sadly uh, because uh, of coronavirus, I did spend much of March and April watching everything from that period. So I, I did watch an awful lot of uh, races from uh, Enna and other such tracks, and uh, yes, a, a dried a dried out lake, mm-hmm. uh, which still has many of the. Uh, issues uh, accompanying uh, that sort of habitat, including, as you mentioned, the plague of frogs, which is a. Uh, I wasn't joking uh, there, Dex, was I? That rather was, biblical. It, 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 that is true. That is true. I think I got the. Uh, did I get the uh, uh, the co-driver right for the Alpha win with Lila Lombardi? You did. You did. Uh, I just thought, wonder what the the grip would be pretty low uh, if you had frogs all over the track. I would have thought. I, I did. I did, slipped did, on uh, a frog. Do Hancock make a frog tar uh, for? The, they will be now. They will be now. Um, it's all good well, news. The immediate will be for tadpoles. Stop it. <laughs> Obviously. Sorry. <laughs> Different time of year, one presumes. Yeah, that. Also, don't forget, if you park illegally, you get towed away. <laughs> don't encourage him, Declan. Which, which mark of Evo is Evo Breakers, by the way? Yeah. Is he, is, is, <laughs> Evo sorry. 2. He's got, very, he's got very wide flared arches. Uh, can I just mention, Stephen, Stephen McAleer and I had a conversation last night. He recently fulfilled the lifetime ambition of all Ouija's. He now owns a 1,000 horsepower Evo. Of course. Of course <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> it's Midweek Motorsport. Uh, we are on uh, Series 15, Episode 29. Uh, can you believe it? Uh, and plenty to come tonight. So let's get on to uh, some of the action from the weekend that is worthy of talking about, of much that went on of that. And we will start at Hereth and MotoGP. That's why Dex is on. Nick's here as well. Um, we have all said before, gentlemen, and I'll credit both of you for this, that the man who is most likely, Nick Damon, to beat Mark Marquez is Mark Marquez, and he did it not once but twice this weekend. Well, he beat himself. He was in the process of saving himself again from his beat-up when he got beaten up, literally, by his own bike. Yes. Can I uh, can I read out what I tweeted earlier today? Yeah. Uh, I basically said, the biggest threat to Mark Marquez's dominance is his internal issue with his understanding of how he is viewed by the rest of the paddock. He literally, he's, he's clearly fighting with that idea of, of how he has to be seen to be dominant. And so my suggestion is that somebody needs to sign that into a long-term contract to raise against him. It's the equivalent of the Roger Moore movie, The Man Who Haunted Himself. The, the thing is, Dex, that's a fair point, because having... You know, got to where he was before he fell off first. He had that, a huge accident. He just didn't fall off. And if you haven't seen this, you must... It encapsulates everything. This whole race encapsulates everything that is both brilliant and flawed about Mark Marquez. First of all, he's going great and he loses the front end of the motorbike. 
Now, for anybody else, the first incident would have been a huge off. It's 120 miles an hour, and you've got to find the camera that is under the fairing looking back at Marquez because you see his hands twitch, which means the front end's tucked under. You see his... You see the movement. You can't quite see his knee. The movement of his knee to hold the bike. And then you do see him move his left elbow from being where it would normally be to prop the bike up. And then he cranks the throttle open to stand the bike up. Now, the fact is, he's half off the bike at that point, And his right leg is actually waving in the air. And he can't make the corner at that point. Now, everything that I've just described took place in about two-tenths of a second. And that, Declan, is absolutely extraordinary. You can't teach anybody to do that. They can't actually think about what they're doing. It's just what he does. The, the lean angle measure on the screen. At one, no, 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 no. 73. Oh. And then it just said, we give up, and it stopped. <laughs> uh, he... That's the thing that blows my mind. He, he, lean angle of 73 means you're down. You're, you're down and you've separated from the bike and you're going to hospital, which he did. The, the fairing's but on the ground. On, the fairing's on the ground. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what he did defies belief. And I, I was watching the international feed and Simon Crafer came on, who's, who does a wonderful, wonderfully calm and controlled job and, of putting things in perspective. And he basically described that as, as something from another planet and yeah. another world. And that's... But, otherworldly but let's let's go back a bit the the reason he was in this position was one has to believe is that he 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 feels like he has to make a statement now i'm convinced mm. of this and i've been convinced of this since malaysia last year he he clearly got uh something within him that said right if if Maverick Vinales is on the soft, and and um, he maybe not even he may not even have known that, but but he would have immediately realised that Vinales had the early pace because he was on the soft front, and he was able to 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 push out a little bit. So at that point, Marquez is deciding to make a statement, and this is not unusual. No, Riders no, no. like him have done this before. Famously, Lorenzo's belief was always if he pushed on cold tires when nobody else was willing to do it, he could separate himself, and and, right. and he was able to do that. There's a difference, though, and I've, I've I've started to think about this, like for the last two or three days. If Mark Marquez's talent was matched with Lorenzo's, uh. Nouse. Just cold, yeah. nasty nous. Yeah, we'd have the most dominant athlete in the history of professional sport, oh, and but, we might still have that. But but he doesn't. He's got this weird thing going on where it's 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 this. It's almost still youth. It's this. I've got to prove. I've got to prove every time I go. It's almost out, a lack. It's almost a lack of belief and a lack of confidence. Which I say that, and even as I say it, I know it sounds ridiculous. He dropped down to fourteenth, Nick. Uh, after that incident and fought his way back to get a huge amount of points he was he was on for a podium position he would have been second he probably wasn't going to catch Fabio Quattararo and by the way Fabio Quattararo gets pole position wins for the first time uh, for a Frenchman in the top class in three years 304 days Uh, sorry, 20 years, 304 days. Uh, and it was Regis Laconi who did it the last time. But getting up to second, as Dex rightly says, Nick, is not good enough for Marquez. 
he would have got a, a, a handful of points, a, an absolute grab full of points. But he pushed too hard, took too much curb, and he's put him out, himself out for at least a race. Well, yeah, at least a race. I think, you know, it's, it is an interesting point that he does seem to want to... And he was doing it a lot as Dexter's last year, to the point where he kind of annoyed all of us by his sort of unpleasantness. He just wants to kind of prove he's the man. And it's like, there's not really any doubt. But he just pushed too hard, as you said. And he fell off once and he fell off a second time. He has this bike that really is evil to ride. And you never look at the rest of the Honda riders, how bad they did. One was also in hospital in Cal Crutcho. His brother was down 18th and the Japanese rider, whose name I can't remember, was nowhere. Um, but then he finally got to the point where he, he lost it again with a really nasty, nasty little high side going through the, the back of the circuit. Comes off and uh, ends up actually getting away with it initially, rolling away. Unfortunately, the bike decided to have enough of being treated so badly and decided to give him one. Basically, clouted him one in the arm, snapped his uh, upper arm up, and um, we don't know whether there's nerve damage or not. They say there's not after the operation. He's saying he wants to miss a week. Problem is that he's had so many injuries, Nick, and so many rebuilding. Right shoulder's been rebuilt. Left shoulder's had work on it. No, they've both been, they've both been done. Yeah. I mean, uh, heavily. Uh, and eventually, he is going to... He is going to compromise. In, in fact, actually, I said this when I was watching it back, and I didn't watch it live because um, I was away all day Sunday and a bit of Monday, so I watched it Monday evening. It's actually extraordinary that he's won as many championships having had as many injuries as he has had. Airbag suits. Yeah, absolutely. He, he did, I mean, in the rainy... In, sorry, in, in the Rainey and Schwantz and Dewan era, he would have been spat off by the 500s, however good he was, and... You just couldn't ride that way because you would be in hospital and out for a, lo- a large amount of time. He said, don't take any pride in this because I think, you know, he, he has this star where he, he goes to the limit. And it's much like, you know, the, the problem is if you have that going for the limit and going slightly over in, F, in F1 or in cars, you spin off, you know, and then you carry on going. Unfortunately, in bikes, you fall off and you hurt yourself. And it is the constant compounding of injuries. Mm-hmm. And you only have to look at the person who's got the longest career in MotoGP that's still going on. How often does Rossi fall off? How no. often did Rossi ever fall off? And, um, and even when he has... Um, he's done it in a in a manner where you know if he's been pushing something, it's been at a low speed corner. He falls off, yeah. he picks the bike he's, up and gets back. Had to one bad injury, broke his leg, and missed a few races. Correct. A few races ago. De- Dex, the, the thing for me, this isn't a normal season, and Marquez seems to be completely unprepared to accept that you can't afford a DNF this year. This is going to be a short season. You know, it's like the start of Formula One, and we'll talk about Formula One in our two of tonight's programme. But, you know, we started Formula One with eight races, all right? It, it's, it's, it's moved on. But we know this is going to be a short season, and you simply have to bag points when they're there. And having dropped down to 14th, he sh- anybody, anybody would have taken... The points on off. Look what Davizioso did a week back after major surgery. He bags a handful of points. That's what Marquez should have done. At a track that he hates, and we'll come to that in a minute. Uh, yeah, and you know that the sign that he should have done it was was when Jack Miller nipped back by him. When Jack Miller nipped back by him, and uh, and should have been a little warning to say, yeah, this is going to get a little trickier now towards the front. Jack Miller. Afterwards, there's a wonderful bit of audio, correct, where, where he's talking to Gigi Delinia, and they picked it up on a on a, a an ambient mic, and he says, "I was messing with him to see what he and he did, and he went for it." Yeah, and they it was almost like a gauge to see how 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 on it he was. 
he was never going to have the same uh, ease with getting by, particularly with two riders. Both Yamaha riders, to different degrees, were, were riding for their points at that point, had backed off. They weren't riding to their full capability. No. So him not being able to play the long game is kind of startling. And this is the thing. This is the flaw, if there's a flaw in him. His inability, as you said, to just say, OK, third's good. I've got past Miller. I'll get past Dovey. That'll be it. But no, he was absolutely going for the top two and probably thought he was going for the win. I, I, and I, I do feel sorry about uh, Fabio Quattararo because it's a huge event from him. I completely disagree with people that say, ah, it's not a real win because Marquez fell off. Well, Marquez fell off because he was under pressure, Nick. And part of that was what Jack Miller did to him. Part of that was the fact that Quattararo had got pole position. And let's be fair... If you go back to qualifying, Mark, and I'm not having a downer on Marquez, but I, I still think he's a brilliant, brilliant rider. Yeah. But Marquez was lucky in the in the event to be on the front row because Miller was on a fabulous lap when he went off. There was a couple of other people, and 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 Marquez wouldn't have been on the front row. And as Dex says, he just can't accept the fact that there's somebody in front of him. Yeah, I mean, it, and it was a great win for Quattararo. You could just call him Fabio. Fabio did really well. Uh, no, it was, it was. You know, it doesn't really matter if if someone falls. That's, that's all part of the game. If you fall off, and both those accidents were entirely his own fault. Um, he wasn't involved with anyone else, and that doesn't affect the win. Much as if he takes three or four races out and doesn't come back, it doesn't affect the championship either. It's no. just it's it. That is what it's all about. You know, Mick Doohan was the greatest rider of his era. Eventually, injury forced him out. Wayne Rooney was winning. Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rainey was winning in 1993. <laughs> Wayne Rooney, fantastic. Wayne Rainey was winning before he was a footballer. Exactly. Yeah, he was winning the 1993 uh, World Championship, and then he had that terrible accident where he ended up paralysed. And Kevin Schwantz became the world champion, much to. Yeah, the joy of many, but you know that's what happens in motorsport. Motorsport is dangerous, and sometimes championship title riders take themselves out with an injury. Dex, as far as uh, the rest of the finishes, all right. Um, Quattararo, massive, 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 massive for him. Um, he will, he will take a huge amount of confidence from that. Dovey, I mentioned, I thought Dovey was outstanding. He, he's not fit, and he did a brilliant job. Yes, and he hates Perez. He's he's walking. He's walked away from that race. And so, and as of Ducati, basically like they've won it. Mm. And to be honest, I absolutely think this is quarter hours championship to lose now. I genuinely believe that. But when you take in the fact that we have two races in Austria mm-hmm. coming up, mm-hmm. which uh, track that, that he, he just wins at, and, uh, uh, and I think a, a, a lack of points now for no points at all from, from Marquez... Precious on Marquez. Yeah, I think you're Dovey. You're thinking, oh, this is this is it, man. This is the chance. Well, Can also we Quattararo like- knows that he's got he's got under the skin from last year. He knows he's got under the skin of of Marquez, and that he can live with him, and he can follow him around. He can yeah, follow John, him around. This is different now, John. He's immediately now the favourite. This is the test for him now. Mm. He's not the jolly. Happy-go-lucky twenty-one-year-old who bangs his tank and, and explodes his airbag which going across the finish line, which was hilarious. He's now the the number one rider in the in the class. Let's let's be honest with with, with Marquez out. He is it's he's the favorite. He walk he will walk into Jerez tomorrow or Friday with the eyes of the world on him to win again. This is different now. It's all changed for him. All change now, and and this is the, the absolute test. Different for Dovey, I think. 
And even though I, I, I said posted on social media, I think uh, it's quarter hours championship to lose. I think secretly Dovey's probably thinking, yes, this is it. Because it if takes he gets the pressure one, off him. Yeah, if it kicks one more race with no, if we have go, if we go one more race with no Marquez where he can't get any points, you suddenly realise we've only got one, two, three, four. Was it a set eight, eight races left? And it, it's almost impossible for Marquez to win the championship. Particularly if you, even if he comes back for, for Bruno and he wins there, he's not beaten Dobby twice in a row in Austria. No. Not a chance. No. Absolutely not. And probably not Quattararo either. Uh, Brad Binder had a good round as well, Nick. Uh, sorry, Dex? Uh, yeah, had, his, had a, uh, an off at seven. Made a mistake he said he'll never make again. And then ran the pace of the leaders uh, for the rest of the race. For, uh, literally the pace of the, uh, uh, setting the fastest lap late on. Isn't, isn't that interesting, though? And I've mentioned that deliberately because I've read a few reports. That is the sort of race where from the outside you'd look at the result and say, no. He didn't do all that well, but actually he rode that bike very, very well indeed. And we've been talking about how people transition to MotoGP and whether they've got the right bike uh, and things like that, Nick. And and actually, despite not getting exactly the result he won, Brad Binder will, I think, again, take a lot of confidence from that. Yeah, I think so. I think you know, the, the KTMs look great um, in comparison to how happy the Aprilia is not quite as good as we were expecting. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, the whole complexity of the complexion of the races in the season changes with, with an absence of Marquez, be it one race, two race, three race, whatever it is, because suddenly everyone can see the chance to actually win a race uh, and can also see a chance to build up a, a cushion for when he does come back. Because, you know, despite the, you know, us worrying about his mental state for a few minutes, he is by far and away the most talented rider currently um, in action. All right, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Dex, uh, Moto3, Moto2. Moto3, which was its usual bonkers thing. Bad luck for John McPhee, who took the lead for a nanosecond on the final oh, corner. Can, and, can we talk about that quickly? Yes. Uh, the, un- the unintended consequences of a short season. Yeah. Is, is he comes off the second in, in, in LaSalle. And, yeah, of course, and, second round for those guys. Good point. Yeah, and, and he has a Moto2 ride... Not guaranteed, but basically dangled in front of him by <clears throat> by uh, uh, Patronas, uh, and he, I think he made a fatal error. He he's going into the last corner. Yes, he McPhee, absolutely. Yeah. He, he could have di- he dived under and could have taken the lead and took taken the win. It was high risk. He already had points at the bank. He was going to finish fourth or fifth or possibly third. I I just feel yeah he's. He's feeling a little bit of the pressure of 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 what from the team and what Wilco Zeelenberg on the competition side wants from him, and and I felt really bad for him because he he's I don't think he's aggressive enough as well. I think he's a little bit too timid. He's 26. He doesn't have time is running out for him. I did like the way he he dealt with himself in the traffic though. I mean there was times when he dropped down to tenth in that you know 144 bike line that there seemed to be for most of the race but a bit like a 5,000 meter runner he was just sitting there and made his move and then he was third then he was second then he led for a bit I thought I I thought he should and interestingly you mentioned his age I thought he was a little naive to go to the front when he did I think he could have left that one more lap I did. I did thoroughly enjoy Darren Binder's contractual obligation: start fifty third, uh, get to third, oh, go for the go for the win with eight laps to go because he's completely mad and then fall off. Yeah, he was. He is. The, we literally have to have a contract that says promoters have to supply Darren Binder with a bike 
every week. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like, he's he he is like a loonier version of his brother. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, he's, he's great fun to watch. Uh, let's just mention, Bal- uh, I beg your pardon, Marini uh, winning, uh, doing the same thing he did in Moto Two that he did in Qatar, but but with a tire that decided to last. But Nagashima, that's a little got to be a little. Uh, wary if you're the rest of the field with Nagashima just picking up a second not worrying too much about the win and piling the points up we'll yeah, see how that but that's, that puts him in the box seat I for the, uh, for the I Moto2 can't. title I've got to say Nick I can't wait for the next round I thoroughly enjoyed it watched all the three races I loved it it's such a long wait as well it's this weekend yeah <laughs> I know and, and, and that is the, the joyous thing so I've got the, the choice between that and the test match uh, this weekend Dex thanks Jim, for joining John, us can with... I finish with just one quick fact yeah. which is just lo- this is lunacy uh, I, I did. I went back through through the the record books and just wanted to check the dominance of uh, some marquee riders in the junior categories, just to give you some perspective for what Quartararo has done and has come from. Marquez had twenty six wins in seventy eight starts in Moto Two and One Two Five. Rossi had twenty six wins in sixty starts in Two Fifty and One Two Five. Paul Spargaro had fifteen wins in one hundred and twenty two. 250 and 125 cc races fabio quartararo in 67 moto 2 and moto 3 races one win yeah and, <laughs> and he got that taken away from him i think um, no no he, he kept that win but one win just, this is it's it's extraordinary that the fact that he was plucked from not obscurity but, but it's it is amazing it's amazing that he's in the position he is, but no. he absolutely deserves that. I think it's it's absolutely unprecedented. No, agreed. Dex, thanks very much, uh, and thanks for joining us. Stay safe, stay well. Ah, my pleasure. Uh, enjoy the rest of the show, chaps. Thanks, mate. Speak to you next week, hopefully, and we'll have some more. Bye. We'll have some more. Um, uh, Motor GP uh, next week. Let's take a look at some of the tweets coming in. Uh, no, Tim Gray this week. He's. Uh, He's off enjoying himself Party. even. He's enjoying himself even more uh, than normal this week. Apparently, uh, hello to Dave Alcock who says, "Can you pass on my congratulations and thanks to Kravenik, uh for the great work he's do that they're doing at the moment? So many great races uh, at so many fabulous track." And Right Turn Lover reasonably says, "Hang on, the week." Live on Midweek Motorsport, you announce a race at Enna. It's the week that Tim Gray's not there. He'll be spitting nails. <laughs> he's already mentioned he's, he's going there the week before or the week after anyway. No, he's going there that weekend. Is he? He'd already planned a holiday Ooh. that weekend at Enna. So he... Have to cancel it. <laughs> I think he's, he's going there uh, for that. Uh, that was huge. Love racing in Italy and Sicily, says Jeffrey Bell. Fantastic. And uh, Simon Hoff says... Uh, has RC Racing been uh, at the Lagavulin or was Sugar involved for Pud? No Pud. No Pud yet. No. It's just natural me. Ennepagu- fish. Ennepagu is a plague of frogs. Of course it will happen. We just need Philippe Albuquerque for the trifecta. <laughs> hmm. Yes. Okay. With frog compound ties to hang out, hook maker ties to cope with the harshly rabbit curves. Very good. Yeah, very good. I see what you did there. Uh... Quattararo celebration noted by a, a few people. Victor Ellis says, fantastic news about the return of endurance racing to a classic and historic Italian stroke Sicilian st- circuit. We're going to have to get used to talking about the Coppa Florio, everybody. Um, the MWN 
downer on Mark Marquez. Should, seems to be rumbling on since Andrew Muggeridge. Surely should be applauded for going for a balls-out win. He's right. No, and I actually said, Andrew, were you not listening, man? I actually said, I don't want to sound like I've got a downer on him. But I, do, I, I thought he made some bad choices. And I think he has his... I think it's extraordinary that he's done so well having had this... He has a downer on himself. It's not us who's got a downer. He doesn't believe in himself. Mm. Because if he believed more in himself, he would he would be more sensible about if he's got a second place bike taking a second place or a third place I don't you've not got a down run have you I think he's a genius he's, I, personally I find him a difficult human being because something he's done but I think he's the, one of the greatest motorcycle racers of all time yeah uh, and, and, and you know go back to what I said at the beginning about how he saved the first off nobody else in the world Nick could have done that. You and I ride off. bikes. He'd fallen off. You and I were riding bikes yesterday. Yeah, I didn't fall off. I didn't, didn't, get, didn't get lint over about 8 degrees, let him 68 degrees. I managed to pick my bike up from 76 degrees, so I'm better than Marcus. What was that, after, well, before or after the insurance claim? No, no absolutely, yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. That's the only reason you're picking your bike up from 73 degrees or more, is if you've got somebody to help you, yes. and it's lying on the ground sideways. At Specutainment, please, if you'd like to get in touch with us. No Tim Gray uh, tonight, but a full programme tomorrow evening, including On the Grid with Richard Creel. And uh, here's Richard to tell us what's going to be on. Two of the young stars of the Supercar Show are our special guests on the grid this week. Race winner Jack LeBrock and podium finisher Todd Hazelwood join the show for a chat after a remarkable weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park where across three races, eight different drivers stood on the podium. We've got a full debrief on that and all of the news going down in Aussie Motorsport as well. It's On The Grid, your Aussie fix of weekly motorsport, 9pm Thursday night UK time on RS1. Looking forward to September, the Le Mans 24 hours. More news breaking just after Midweek Motorsport last week. So we thought it would be a good idea to have a little bit of a catch-up on the situation. We've told you already about uh, the fact that it's moved to September, uh, that it's now a Thursday to Sunday event, scrutinising uh, behind closed doors on Wednesday at the track, no driver parade, all of that stuff. Uh, Richard Webb from Travel Destination joins us now. The, the new information that came out last Thursday, and probably as we're talking now on Wednesday, we can expect something again tomorrow, it would seem. Um, I'm only joking uh, about that. It was uh, 50,000 we knew... Um, we weren't sure how that was going to happen. We've got a bit more details on that. Ten, a minimum of ten at the moment. Uh, compounds, areas, the ACO like to call them villages. Um, and some of them have a campsite built onto it. Some of them have a campsite slightly further away. Uh, it, it appears that people can, st- can still go in and out of the circuit, but are assigned to one particular place, which will have trackside viewing and big screens. What does that actually mean uh, for anybody uh, who wants to go, who, people who you have sold tickets to, and what does that mean sure. for travel destinations customers? Okay, so I think this is becoming a bit of a regular thing between you and I, isn't it? Yeah, now it is. doing these updates. Sorry about that. Um, the every time the ACO 
bring out a press release, there are more questions and more and probably less answers. But we we can now work through a framework and kind of work out exactly where things are going to be, if not how things are going to be. So um, I think let's let's go down to the 10 areas and, and work from there. So these are the camp ba- more or less based around the campsites at Le Mans. Um, we knew beforehand there was going to be 50,000 spec maximum of 50,000 spectators allowed into the circuit. That's still the case. Um, but French regulations mean that there can't be m- gatherings of more than 5,000. So the ACO are trying to do their best, to be fair, to enable spectators to still be at the circuit. Um, and to do that, they're breaking the circuit up into 10 distinct areas. Um, they're calling them villages. I'm calling them zones just because it, it makes more sense to me as a zone because um, it encompasses multiple areas. Um, and then each zone will um, have a maximum of 5,000 spectators within that zone. Now, these zones and campsites will open Wednesday afternoon. So that's Wednesday, the 16th of September um, after the 2 p.m., um, and that will be the earliest that um, spectators can get onto the circuit. So there's been rumours and speculations of things before that. That's not the case. It will be Wednesday afternoon onwards. You quite rightly say, although scrutineering is happening on the Wednesday, that won't be available to view from the public. So we're left with these zones. And depending on which campsite you've currently got reserved or you're going to book in the future, because you can still book campsites with people like ourselves, um, then you will be allocated to a zone. We understand that you will be given a coloured wristband and your ticket will be colour coded um, and you will be only able to access that zone. So the big game changer here, I think, really is to understand that when you go down there, you'll be brilliant. You can go trackside, but you cannot move around the circuit freely as you would do. I think we all have to understand that this September, Le Mans will not be a normal Le Mans for anybody, for everybody, yourself included, John. You know, it's there's lots of uncertainties. There's lots of um, how's this going to work? How's that going to work? But providing we all go down there understanding that this is not going to be normal. This is not how it's going to be for years to come. This is just for this September. And for this September, we have to follow those rules. So each zone is color coded. Each zone will have a viewing area. So it will probably be a viewing bank or a viewing area over a particular part of the circuit. Each area will have a big screen allocated to it. So you can follow the race from elsewhere around the circuit. And each area will have its own um, food and drink outlets on site. So let's pretend that you're going into the red zone that means you can park there you can camp there you can eat and drink there and you can view from there um what you can't do is go into the green zone 
the yellow zone, the blue zone, the white zone, whatever others. Or the beige zone, which I think is very funny. The Uh, beige zone and the khaki zone is one of my favourites. Yeah, khaki zone. Now, not every one of these zones, zone's a good word, not every one of these zones, Richard, has all of the facilities because there are some of them, and there's no need to go through them all because it's all on the the website. Um, There are some of them that have a camping area that isn't part directly of the zone but has one allocated to it. Um, so, for example, I think Who is part of the yellow zone from memory. Yeah. I am doing that from memory from last Thursday. Yeah, you're quite right. Um, but what, is the, what does this mean, though, for people, for example, who get on, maybe staying downtown, and get on a tram and get off at Antares, but they've got an allocated area that's at the other side, you know, at the other at the top of the compound. They, I presume they won't be able to walk through some of these other areas. They'll have to take a longer way around, will they? And the, the, the answer to that is nobody knows at the moment. I'm sure that's something the ACO are working on. Um, we know that if you've got hospitality, then you will get off the tram and be met at the, um, the MM Arena and be transferred by shuttle to your area, um, which is the purple zone. Um, so that is that is known. Um, whether there is any other way of getting across to um, the other areas from inside the circuit, I don't know. Or if you are arriving on foot and you're not camping, you're allocated to the nearest zone. Mm. Um, that is something the ACO have yet to um, announce and to, to let anybody know. I think what we've got to say, Rich, is at this, at this point, what the ACO are doing here are abiding by the French regulations about the numbers of people in a single place gathering. Um, exactly. I, I think the corona precautions are something else entirely. This, we're not seeing that people have to be isolated and not move from these areas for the whole time they're there. Clearly, they can go back out. You can go to Carrefour. Everybody inside the circuit's going to have to wear a mask. That is mm-hmm. a part of, of the regs. This is what much you can't more... do is move around within the circuit Correct. once you're into that area. That's the crucial thing. So, yeah, basically... Uh, and this is, all, this is all about the size of gatherings. This is not necessarily about corona. When the ACO made their announcement about... About 50,000 people they were very much hoping that the the French rules and regulations um, from from central government would change between yeah. now and then and they indeed might um, but um, they're trying to accommodate spectators at Le Mans I think um, we've had a, a letter from Pierre Fillon saying you know this is that we desperately want there to be fans at the circuit we understand fans are an important and integral part of the Le Mans 24 hours and of the experience for everybody yes Uh, right let me ask you some quick fire trying to do their best under those regulations let me ask you some quick fire questions specific I can't promise I'll answer (laughs) Uh, uh, well no indeed Uh, to the best of your knowledge Mr Webb uh, no actually these are uh, TD specific travel destination specific now in the past you have had um, your own dedicated areas for camping glamping uh, for flexitels Porsche Porsche Curves, of course. Everybody knows about that. We've talked about that for years, um, which does have its own viewing area. And Antares, just around the corner from the tram stop for Flexitels. What happens to that? What zones are they allocated to? Okay, so the the Porsche Curves area is actually in the rose zone or the pink zone, depending on how you want to look at it. 
Now, up until um, very recently, as in that matter of days ago, this was all fine and Porsche Curves was going to run um, exactly as it would do normally. Um, we would be running the same facilities, running the same everything, um, inviting our customers in and we would be running it, albeit you wouldn't be able to go to other parts of the circuit, which is true for everything else. You would be within the, the rose zone and that would be as it stands. However, in recent days and developments, the ACO have um, indicated that obviously to fit in the 50,000 people, um, they would want us to accommodate up to 5,000 people on um, and within the Porsche Curves area. Um, now, unfortunately, that's not possible um, and certainly not possible within a private area. No. So, unfortunately, uh, for this September and for this September only, and we will be redoing it again from and in June next year, is we've had to make the difficult decision and say, unfortunately, this um, September, we will not be able to offer our private areas um, as we do normally. We are currently, and I, I swear literally currently, and I've broken away from doing it myself to, to speak to you um, today, um, to say we're calling and discussing options with all our customers. Right. There are other options. There are other camping areas on the circuit. We actually have hotel rooms um, in Le Mans town, which are available to those customers. And, and is that the same for Flexitel's customers as well, Rich? That would be the same for Flexitel right. customers. They have been contacted and they are being offered exactly the same facilities and other things for this year. Because unfortunately, the, the, the private areas at, um, at Le Mans this year are very difficult to work, if at all. I would right. suggest that they won't happen at all, um, just because of the, the caveat of how it's going to work this year. The point we should always make is if anybody's booked with you and they haven't heard from you yet, don't worry, you will get round to them. You got exactly round right. to them all um, when it was moved from from June to September. And People will be fed up with hearing from us, to be honest, because they've been con- contacted on a regular basis I'm over sh- the last few months. I'm sure they won't. And the usual thing that we always say is that because you are ABTA and all bonded, that any monies that have been paid over, any deposits, etc., are absolutely safe uh, and yeah. I presume uh, um, then you, you're going to offer the same sort of service as you did yeah, when exactly, it moved from exactly. June. So people def- are offering, people are being offered the alternatives. Um, so if they want to camp elsewhere or they want to go to the hotel or whatever, they they're being offered those alternatives. If they um, to, if they think that the restrictions of the the current regulations mean that they're not going to enjoy Le Mans this year, and I don't want anyone to go to Le Mans and not enjoy it, that's really not the point. Um, then they're being first off offered um, first dibs on whatever they want for next June, and their bookings can be carried over. You know, to be honest, the Porsche Curves campsite is already two thirds full for next year. Yeah. So, and event tents are selling strongly, our glamping tents and the Flexitel village um, is also um, increasing in numbers every day. So, the numbers and bookings for 2021 are very strong. Good, good. Uh, And I'm I'm pleased to hear that. And of course, it is special circumstances this year. And that's what we, listen, if we're going to get any race off at all, there are going to have to be compromises. There was a bit on the release 
uh, last week that will, and we'll, we'll make this the final question for you, uh, that, that, that would have piqued a few people's interests in that there was a date given in August, I think it was the 17th or the 18th, uh, for the ACO to potentially make an announcement about the whole event running behind closed doors. That obviously will be uh, in accordance with whatever regulations French uh, and departmental governments come up with. Um, is that a bit of just a little bit of belt and braces or is there still uh, and people will say well what's the point of, of even me making any kind of of plans if if the event a month out um, yeah. a month before I travel possibly less than that um, is, is going to be shut shut off to me well I think this this whole event um, in September does come with a big asterisk next to it sure. saying subject to the local situation, how the further outbreaks, regulations and what have you. Some of that is beyond the ACO's remit and they cannot say whether that's going to be the case in now 17th of August or beyond. I think what they've said as far as the 17th in August and beyond is they will then have to start contacting customers because there are issues with grandstands are now within um certain zones yeah and people may have campsites camping tickets in one zone and grandstand Ah. seats in another zone. so they don't correspond so that needs to be changed and altered either by moving the grandstands or by moving the campsites now that's quite an undertaking in itself and we're doing the same with our customers who have got grandstands in one area and camping in another. Um, so there is th- there are things to, that need to be sorted between now and then just from a purely logistical point of view on what we know now. So there is more information to come. Okay. However, I would, I would say, as I always do to people, if you're booking, booking through um, travel destinations, your money is safe. If the event is cancelled due to COVID um, or goes on behind closed doors due to COVID, you're entitled to a full refund. Um, so you, you would get that refund or you can move it to the following, um, following events or next year or whatever it might be. So you're in control of your booking. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, so, that's the, so there is no risk from that point of view. Um, and, but as I say, any event going on between now and um, well, and whenever will always come with an asterisk next to it saying subject to the current climate, because yeah. we know you only have to look at the news day by day to see there is an outbreak here, an outbreak yes. there that goes in the UK, the US, France, Germany, Spain, Excellent. wherever. Yeah. So, um, we Lots all- of hard work in the next uh, next week for you and the team, Rich. Thanks. Easy for us, I confess. But we're we're talking to everybody and everybody's being really understanding and they're they're pleased to hear from us and, and us to explain everything because there's there's a lot of other information out there, but at least we can explain the you know the facts as they are as right. we have done tonight and and um hopefully that will get everybody sorted in the short term uh best of luck mate and thanks for joining us on midweek motorsport thanks rich no worries john always a pleasure thank you midweek motorsport half time and while we swap ends here's what's coming up Big interview. Shot to 
Just after nine o'clock, and well, this is our big interview slot, and um, certainly this is a big character, the man behind Sports Car Three Six Five. We welcome uh, John De Geese back to the program. Hello, John. How are you? Doing pretty well. How about yourself, John? Very good. Thank you for for asking. Um, as I say, this is the big interview slot. I, I, I'm, we're not going to sort of have this as a big interview we're doing a bit of a catch-up with you to be honest because there's been a few big stories certainly breaking uh, in the United States uh, and no bigger few weeks uh, than uh, in IMSA with Corvette getting their 100th and 101st victories let's start there what a season what a comeback for IMSA in the two races we've had untraditional lengths, non-traditional lengths at very traditional cir- circuits and America's sports car getting the two victories that they have been looking for or the one victory and then they backed it up with the second victory that they've been looking for for such a long time. Yeah, and I don't. I think you couldn't have said it any better during the broadcast um, of the WeatherTech 240. You know, Corvette winning on July 4th on Independence Day, 100th win in IMSA. It was like a, a storybook finish for them and I've been really impressed by the C8R in these first two races. I don't know about you, but it was it seems like they've really gotten to grips with the car. All things considered, you know, it debuted at Daytona in a 24-hour race, then had a sort of half outing at Coda with the WEC because it was sort of plagued by the BOP there. And then all of a sudden, you know, sit still for all these months and, you know, what do you do? And IMSA had even had even prohibited um, wind tunnel testing, sim testing. So they were restricted in a lot of ways. And it was just really impressive to see them come back out of the box and, and be right on it um, in these last two races. And obviously they've had a lot of data, I think, to work from, from Daytona and Sebring, having tested there multiple times, having raced for a full 24-hour race at Daytona. And it'll be interesting to see what happens um, in the next weekend at Road America, a track they have you know, less experience on with the C8R. Good point, good point. Uh, I'll ask you a little bit uh, later about... Just how you you feel IMSA's comeback after the big pause has has been, uh, and how you think the the whole the whole paddock uh, mm-hmm. is, and, and how the situation is. But we, we've got we've had some in, interesting news bubbling away for a little while. You were on it uh, pretty early uh, with your contacts at Sportscar Three Six Five. We knew the Penske Acura initial contract was coming to an end at the end of this season. That's not news. The news is that they haven't been able to come to an accommodation to take that forward. And some interesting quotes from Tim Sindrick about about why that hasn't been able to happen, John. Yeah, he basically said they, that Penske and Acura, quote, couldn't align, um, end quote, on their future plans, you know, moving forward. And I know that sounds a little generic, but you you could read into it, meaning, you know, what what does that mean exactly? And there's a lot of speculation brewing that, you know, Penske wants to go to Le Mans. There's, there's clear ambitions for them to do that. And Tim actually noted that in, a, in an additional quote that was provided to us um, um, by, by the team. And I, I think there is definitely something brewing. We knew 
that the relationship between Penske and Acura wasn't that rosy. Um, I, I've heard stories back dating back to the beginning of last year that there were, I wouldn't say conflicts in there between the two organizations, because obviously they, they went on to win a championship last year and were quite successful. But I think there was a bit of a power struggle between Acura and Penske in terms of who makes the final decisions, who puts the car, you know, what, you know, the terms of the, the, the spotlight, you know, given, is it Penske, is it Acura or, uh, you know, there's, there are two powerhouse organizations there. And I think, you know, while initially it all sounded like a really great partnership and a really great, um, uh, a collaboration, you know, things started to unravel a little bit as we got into the first couple seasons of that, of that partnership. And, you know, we've seen it sort of, you know, typical Penske fashion, do you, you know, they would typically be pretty dominant and we haven't seen that in no. the WeatherTech championship, only, only four wins. So, um, that's where I started thinking, well, maybe there wouldn't be a renewal of this contract. Maybe it will end at the end of this year. And that's what we, that's the news we got this week. You've got to wonder about things like performance clauses and things like that. Mm. It, it was a, it was a very difficult birth and first season last year, as you say, you know, not the wins possibly they expected, but they still took home a championship, which, you know, with the competition that's around them, you'd say wasn't too shoddy. Hasn't been a great start to this year. No. Uh, already issues, a very non-Penske, non-finish at the, the, the uh, 240 issues in the, the 24, a pit stop that was all over the place, although the cars, you know, still got back out and, 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 and were vaguely competitive. And, I, and I'd use that. I'm, I'm not trying to be down on anybody there. But it just didn't look very Penske. As if almost they'd, they'd almost already turned off from mm. what we saw at the start of this season. Yeah, it very well could be the case. I, I, I don't know. Um, it is strange because you'd expect nothing but the best from a Penske team. And Correct. it almost reminds me of that year in Grand Am where I think it was 2009 to fulfill their contract with Porsche. They ran a season with Timo um, Bernard and Romain Dumas in a, in a Riley uh, chassis Porsche DP. And they didn't win a race at all that year. And they were plagued by a lot of issues that season as well. And um, that was sort of a, a year to sort of fulfill their, their intent with Porsche after um, the RS Spider after the RS Spider program came to an end and the factory program. And so, you know, it's sort of, yeah, I, I'm curious to see what the rest of the season will bring. Um, obviously, BOP does play a factor into it. And I think what we saw at Sebring was a bit of a swing in BOP in a couple different categories. So um, maybe, you know, IMSA might make some changes, who knows, but, you know, I, I, you're, you're not, you're absolutely right that, you know, pit stop performance, um, some mechanical gremlins, um, not getting those key victories. I think that's a huge part of this as well. You know, sure. They won a championship, but, um, no Rolex 24 win, no, no Sebring win, no Petit no. Le Mans. Obviously they'll have a chance to do Sebring and Petit, the 12 hour and, and Petit later this year. Um, but still very unpensky like, yeah. and, um, just a, a strange situation altogether. I'll ask you what next for Penske in a moment, but what next for Acura? Because they've invested, um, they put their corporate dollars um, into the DPI program. Uh, we know that DPI will go forward. Obviously, we have mm -hmm. DPI 2.0, LMDH to come, and from all accounts, by all accounts, Acura is still very interested in that as well. But presumably, I mean... <laughs> 
if it's not Penske, who might it be? Acura have got history, John, for not doing things necessarily in the most obvious or traditional of ways. Yeah, when we saw the Acura program in the ALMS sort of come to a, an end, they it was sort of d- moved into a HPD-branded effort where we had Highcroft and, and a couple other teams that evolved, I think, Level 5, um, um, some others that ended up purchasing cars and running them more as customer teams. Um, even the LMP1 cars, I remember um, JRM had one in, in the World Endurance Championship um, in the first year in 2012. But I, I think we'll still see Acura branding. I think we'll still see involvement from Acura themselves. And this wouldn't turn into an HBD project uh, per se, 100%. Um, the big question is, will we have multiple teams? Will we have one team? Um, I think it makes sense to have multiple teams, kind of like a, a model that Acura had, had done in the past when they actually joined the ALMS in, in 2007, so 2006. I can't remember now, but um, I, I think, you know, having sort of spreading the love between multiple teams, you, you get a better chance of, of having success, I think, you know, and, and maybe there wouldn't be as much factory backing as they as it is right now with Penske, but... Um, at the same time, having multiple teams could would come as a bonus both from the manufacturer side and also from IMSA's side because we do need at least one year, more year of DPI, most likely two, because I think LMDH will be delayed by a, by a season both in IMSA and WEC, as, as it looks like right now. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that a change of strategy from from Acura HPD side is probably the the most likely path we're going to see heading into next year. The, the obvious the obvious one that's going to come up is MSR um, mm-hmm. Maya Shank Racing. Uh, they have an association already with the brands. Uh, it's becoming more and more uh, difficult to have semi-works teams in GT Daytona which is, is where they've been in the past and they've had indeed difficulties uh, they've they've said you know it is difficult and where are we going to be funded from uh, they have been running single seaters as well with their uh, NTT IndyCar program that's the obvious one is it too obvious is that too easy to make that leap of faith I don't think so, because Schenk has tried to get this car at least twice already. So they were in the running when Penske was still in the initial discussions with Acura a long time ago, and then it ultimately became just Penske and not you know, a two-car, two-team operation as what it potentially could have been at the beginning of the, of the Acura DPI era. And then just, I think, last year, um, uh, Mike was trying to get a, a car. He had sponsorship lined up. Everything was ready, set to go. And then the Penske clause came in where Penske had the exclusivity on the ARX-05, and it was basically shot down. Um, so I think Meyershank Racing makes a lot of sense. Um, I called Mike yesterday, actually, to go see what he had to say, and he basically gave me a full stop, no comment. And that's very unlike very. Mike Schenk, as you know. Very. So I'm, I'd have to think there is something brewing there, something in the works, um, definitely probably nothing confirmed, but you know, he doesn't want to speak about it. He doesn't want to jinx it. He doesn't want to lead anything to spe- any kind of speculation sure. because they probably have their most serious shot of having a car as, as, as ever. There are other people out there in the IMSA paddock now and people outside it. You know, when you talked about the the 
the effort from Yosiko and ELMS, uh, ELMS, excuse me, um, Andretti was involved. Mm-hmm. Other other teams were involved. Uh, you've got teams that are currently in GT Le Mans, uh, who, and I think particularly of RLL, who yeah. might not be fully gainfully employed, looking even into the short to medium term, and and. That's a, that's clearly a good package, that ARX05. And it, it would make sense for people like Rahal, uh, maybe even like Andretti. I'm even going to throw in Chip Ganassi. What are they yep. doing with their extra capacity that they had for, for running cars? And they thought they might have been running a Ford prototype by now. Mm-hmm. So, so there's capacity in all of those people. Yeah, I think all three of those teams are very viable options. And even from a Rahal perspective, it could be in addition to its BMW program because Bobby hasn't hidden his desire to go into prototype racing to get back to Le Mans because he sees there's really no avenue there with BMW. So I think having a Rahal prototype effort makes a lot of sense. Um, Like you said, with Ganassi, um, that as well. I know they've moved some of their Ford GT crew members over to the the third IndyCar for this year, but I'm sure there's still some other guys on the fence um, looking to get Mm. back in. Um, The Ford DPI, well, LMDH program, I think that's very much up in the air right now. It looks a bit unlikely. Um, It's been very quiet in the Ford camp lately, so I think looking towards that future is probably not too good and considering Ganassi has links to, to Honda in the past it, it, it would make a lot of sense so um, I think the big question is what kind of will these teams have to bring their own funding or will Honda will, will Acura provide some support or will it be uh, a full customer program we don't know yeah. and, and HPD and Acura haven't provided any of those details yet so I think um, there's still a lot to be determined a lot to be announced but um, definitely a lot of teams in the running and um, I know of some existing LMP2 teams also that are yes. trying to put their head in into the into the in, into the options as well so um, I think this is going to be one of the real interesting stories to follow in the months to come yeah and clearly as we said with a with such a competitive uh, uh, option up competitive package then there will be a lot of people interested even if it was did have to be a fully funded quote-unquote privateer event all right what about Penske then because Mr. Penske uh, never does anything um, in a vacuum Uh, he's right I know he's got uh, options in IndyCar and potentially more IndyCar options he's working very hard uh, on the IndyCar side of things which He's just taken over, then the organisation have taken over. Talks of him buying Iowa Speedway surfaced at the weekend. Talks of him talking to Ferrari, still ongoing. But the obvious one um, is Porsche. Uh, And I say that because, again, they've had a a relationship with Porsche in the past. But if he's talking about uh, Ferrari as an IndyCar engine supplier, wouldn't it, if I turn that back on its head, make perfect sense for that engine to be doing double duty if it was going to be servicing US customers to make it viable for Ferrari to have some kind of US base if it could also be used in LMDH and IMSA competition going forward? It very well could, although the intel that I've heard is that Ferrari would choose either IndyCar or LMDH. I don't think they have the capacity to do both. So uh, it would make sense on an engine front, but you still have the development costs on the, on the aero. Um, and also Ferrari is very hesitant, hesitant right now to um, have a car 
not built by them, like have it, you know, if, if you, with LMDH, you obviously have the options of Liget, Orica, um, Delara, or Multimatic, and it would make sense for them to go with Delara, yeah. and they have a, you know, very big past with, uh, successful past with Delara, but I don't think that's too, well, we'll have to wait and see what happens, but, you know, they, they've been making plays where, I think for, if Ferrari was to get back into prototype racing, it probably would be a Lama hypercar, right. which again could actually still be eligible in IMSA because right. IMSA's left the door open for that as long as it's a major OEM. So, or an OEM that pays the that supports IMSA with the the marketing budget, which yeah. Ferrari is currently one of those to begin with. So, so does that um, just leave Porsche as an option for for Mr. Penske and his organization? I think I think there's a couple other options too um porsche is probably the leading one and the one that makes the most sense because if penske wants to get back to Le Mans, porsche is the one to make it happen and um we've seen you know the north american side of the factory squad with, with the core autosport cars running parallel to the Monthai cars in gte pro um the last three years unfortunately this year it won't be happening because of covid but um i i think porsche's willingness to do that would make a lot of sense um, also, the fact that it, it appears that the employees at CORE have been told to go look for other work next year, um, that would sort of indicate that if there is a Porsche LMDH program, which we think there most likely will be, um, it most likely won't be run by CORE Autosport. Right. So that sort of opens the door for Penske. And just reading through Tim Sindrick's quotes, you know, about Lama, about the alignment on the future, you know, maybe it could have been a case where Acura didn't have the ambition to go to Lama right. um, to, to do it financially. And this might be a decision on Penske's front to align with Porsche because Lama means that much to them right now that they know time is ticking and, and have a serious program to go run for overall honors there. You know, Porsche's, maybe offered them something and, mm-hmm. and they've decided to go that route instead. Yeah, that makes perfect sense as well. I did say I was going to ask you uh, quickly and finally about uh, the return to racing from IMSA to uh, non-traditional lengths at very traditional circuits, as I said. And I think it's worked rather well, to be to be honest. I, I'm not really sure what I expected, John, uh, to be honest, but I've enjoyed both of the two-hour 40 uh, races at, at both Daytona and, and at, at Sebring. Yeah, I think it's been great, and and all of IMSA's protocols with with COVID and 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 the the social distancing and wearing of masks and everything, it looks like they've been doing a, a very good job, running things extremely professional. Um, not saying any other sanctioning bodies haven't. I, I think everybody in motorsports in general has been taking this extremely seriously and been doing a, a really stellar um, effort to to be safe but still be able to race and. Um, I think, you know, the, these first two races demonstrated that. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what the rest of the season will bring, especially with Road America. I'm mm. um, going back to a traditional race on the calendar and and seeing how that'll be from the team's perspectives. Um, some fans will be there in attendance again. Um, also, you know, just sort of trying to get back into more normality. You know, we these races were great, but they also did feel a little out of place because we yes. weren't used to midsummer races in Florida. And um, I, I really want to sort of feel to get back into that rhythm, get back into that consistency of what we had before. And I know there, you know, we're not going to have the full normal that we had before. It'll be the new normal, but um, still I'm very much looking forward to the, the weeks to come. And I mean, it, we still might have to have some, 
some changes to the calendar. Yeah. Um, Laguna Seca, their uh, WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca, uh, they're struggling getting their volunteers sorted out. Um, they've already put out uh, some correspondence that suggests uh, all of their races will be behind closed doors, be behind closed doors this year. Uh, California, obviously, uh, looking a little uh, less safe to go to at the moment. Same with the uh, northeast of the com- country. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of feel for IMSA and for any sanctioning body at the moment, John, because you can put out as many calendars as you want, but they're actually going to have to be, continue to be flexible. Yeah, I think this. I think IMSA's made three or four major revisions already to its calendar, and it's at no fault of their own. It's it, they're just reacting to the evolving situation with certain states' regulations and 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 protocols. And I think what makes it unique in the U.S. is that each state has their own, you know, their their own jurisdiction where Correct. they can make certain restrictions and and whatnot. I'm I've just learned of of a new a, a possibility here. You know, I'm I live in the Chicago area and. Um, the Illinois, um, actually, the, the mayor of Chicago is looking to in, uh, uh, enforce a mandatory 14-day quarantine if you go to Wisconsin. So, what if I end up going to Road America next weekend? You know, this weekend I might oh, next weekend. Sorry, yeah, I'm getting my weeks confused here in the middle of quarantine. But um, if I end up going to Road America next weekend, I may have to go quarantine for 14 days after that. And it sounds ridiculous, but these are the kind of things that are are happening so quickly in in and so flu- everything's so fluid right now um because of covid and quite frankly i think europe's in a little bit of a better state mm. um in terms of you know the infection rate and and returning to racing but um it still hats off to imsa for for making the most of it and you know yeah i think we're going to see some more calendar changes but it's at no fault of their own and at least we've got racing back. John DeGeese, uh, the man at the head of Sports Car 365, the founder and managing editor. Uh, thanks as ever, John, for taking time out of uh, what I know is insanely busy at the moment <laughs> as everybody's squeezing everything in to four months. JD, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, John. Be safe. Uh, now, with a bit of luck, if I drop John there and get Shea... Sorry? I'm sorry, no, it's marvellous. Well, can I just say congratulations on truly being Tim? Well, because of the loudness of Massive the jingle, well, well done. The thing is, that was, ju- that was, that was Tim's jingle. So that, that was set by, his, the level was set by him in London. I did not the control ghost, that. The ghost of grey. Uh, uh, very funny, very funny. Couldn't even, uh, uh, couldn't even uh, sort that out. Um, uh, now, that, thank you very much indeed. Uh, to John DeGeese, founder and um, editor of SportsCar365. Uh, Shea Adam should be joining us now. Shea, hello. Hello. Uh, first of all, let's pick up on something that, uh, that uh, on what we were talking about there with John, the, <laughs> the Acura uh, Penske situation uh, and also the situation for IMSA uh, with, you know, potential still more, uh, still more calendar... Um, revisions let's say to to go in uh Acura Penske what have you been hearing um pretty much what John said it, it's an interesting situation when you really think about it the lack of success that they've really had won the championship course. they did win the championship but they've only won four races yeah. they've won mid-Ohio twice which yes it is the Acura Grand Prix so that one does count for a little bit more but none of the major races none of the endurance races and they've been a bit 
I don't know. When you look back on it, in the same period of time as the Ford GT ran for that four-year spans versus this three-year period, the Ford GT won Daytona twice. They didn't win Sebring, but they did win pretty much every other race on the calendar. So it's interesting when you compare programs that come and go. Um, that's not to say that Penske did anything wrong necessarily, because you think of the team coming in when you want any organization to run your cars, Penske is pretty close to the top of the list always, no matter what series you're running in. But there is a definite lack of wins as opposed to poles and podium finishes that they've had. They've been great on those. They just haven't been able to close the deal. Yeah. Uh, Nick says, pulling my positive pants on, um, you, <laughs> you have to, um, uh, you have to say if, uh, let me see what you, you, you leave someone like Pensy, Penske if you are leaving uh, or B, have a better option. The only one I can think of is Multimatic because they now have spare capacity. Now Valkyrie is done and gone. Um, couple of, I'll come back to that in a second, Nick. A uh, couple of other people saying, um, you know, seems like some big money. Jeffrey Bell saying, seems like some big money's leaving the circuits. Uh, the IMSA circus with Acura or Penske departing are both con- uh, confusing for a fan, but thanks for detailing it. Right, first, oh, and hang on, here's another one. That's just popped in. Tom Firth, Acura wise to go with Penske initially. Would have been silly to turn Penske down at that point, given they have now been unable to reach terms to convenio. I look forward to others filling uh, the gap particularly with the prospect of msr first point i would make and i'll bring nick damon in back in on this as well first point i would make sure is penske doesn't do anything penske organization and roger penske doesn't do anything unless it makes business sense to him so penske actually don't bring any money into any championship uh, <laughs> per se what they do is spend other people's money very effectively and and don't get me wrong, that's not a criticism, but accurately, if Acura were to leave IMSA, that would be a far bigger thing for IMSA in terms of uh, marketing spend and promotional spend than, than Penske not being around last year, but Acura staying on and having some private teams that they were still supporting. Yes, correct. Uh, Roger Penske is one of the savviest businessmen in oh, yes. the United States of America. And I would even be so bold as a uh, student of history to compare him with such men as Rockefeller um, because he really has changed the face of every industry that he's become involved in. Mm. You don't get rich by spending your own money on things like motorsport. You do it by spending <laughs> other people's money in motorsport. How do you make a small fortune in racing? You start with a large one. Uh, so Roger Penske knows what he's doing. If the relationship with Acura is ending for Team Penske as a corporation, there is a very good reason for that. I don't know what it is. I don't pretend to be privy to that sort of knowledge. But the people that do look at the numbers, they know how to make sense of this. And we're not saying that Acura is leaving IMSA, and we're certainly not saying that Penske is leaving IMSA. We're just saying that that relationship has come to an end and what new things will flourish from those possible opportunities. Uh, And I would say, again, it's more important for the series to keep the manufacturers in than keep Penske in unless Penske could bring another manufacturer in, for obvious reasons, because it's the manufacturer, Nick, that pays the money in terms of hospitality, in terms of sponsoring events, in terms of uh, of additional 
spend activation money. Yeah, I mean, that is the lure of the manufacturer to the organising um, company, be it IMSA, be it the ACO, be it British GT. They want to have manufacturers who are going to bring people in who are going to spend money. However, you know, if, if what the outshot of this is that the Acura situation... Uh, goes back to how it was in the uh, the glory days, the end of ALMS with the HPD, which personally I think is a marvellous car. I was, only, I was only driving it this afternoon, the HPD RX01, um, uh, round Watkins Glen in a virtual format. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you have four or five teams running one or two cars. You know, it's, it, is that not a, a better solution for the DPI? Getting the DPI perhaps down to privateer hands and away from the, the big US corporations. Well, Cadillac have done it, of course. They've put yeah. cars in different people's hands. Uh, Scott Thirdwell says, IMS are going to different tracks then, Watkins Glen and Lime Rock need to be uh, possibly to be cancelled. Imagine due due to COVID, fourteen quarantine restrictions, fourteen day co- uh, restrictions. Where would they go? Barber Park, an option, uh, possibly for the the GT. Certainly, VIR. That's another one that I think is going to have to be looked at. That's a fully GT race at the moment. There are. I think we've talked about this. If not, we've talked about it between ourselves. Here, uh, maybe it was, <laughs> maybe it was during the um, IMSA broadcast at the weekend. There are thoughts that there might be a six-hour race at Petit Le Mans before, uh, oh, oh, sorry, at Road Atlanta before Petit Le Mans in the weeks before Petit Le Mans. There's a potential to do other races. I mean, we've had a couple of decent races, as, as we were saying with John there. Um, non-traditional lengths at very traditional tracks. Um, I don't know what the imperative is, and and maybe we get John Doonan or or somebody from IMSA to talk about this. Is there a number that they have to have for TV? Is there that imperative, which is why, of course, Formula One, Nick, is trying so hard to get to... 15. 15, thank you. Um, And, you know, I I don't know. I I don't know that. But Uh, but ultimately, they will run out of time and run out of tracks. Yes, and, and there has to be a minimum number that's not public information that, that we're Correct. all, again, privy to that information. Um, but there comes a point in time where it really does feel like they're trying so hard to squeeze in all the races. And I completely respect them for doing that because people who work in motorsport don't make money if we don't have races to go to or to broadcast or to do anything associated with. But I, I was also hearing rumors about the potential earlier on of making the six-hour race the Laguna Seca round to going back to the routes that we had. Remember the great mm. ALMS days when we raced into the dusk? Now I'm hearing more whispers, yeah, like you said, around having a six-hour race at Road Atlanta. But that would be two endurance races at Road Atlanta, potentially within the span of a month. So, again, you're going to start getting a little bit of team fatigue when that sets in. People are going to be grateful to be racing, and that's, at the end of the day, what everyone's experiencing right now. People are just grateful. But it is funny that we've come off of two races in Florida in July when everybody was happy to get back to racing, but by everyone that I talked to who was in Florida and at the track during Sebring, it was a butt-kicking weekend because the heat and humidity is just so yeah. difficult to deal with. And that's why Floridians leave Florida in the summer. <laughs> Let's have a quick word about that before we move on. Um, uh, nice to have IPC and Mission and Pilot Challenge back. I thought both races were yeah. very good and interesting. Their second rounds of the season. But, you know, six months, six months since yeah. since they've raced. Congrats to everybody who did well there. Not really enough time to go into detail with that, but we covered it at the weekend and the archives are all up. Quick word about the uh, IMSA 
WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Another absolute masterclass by Action Express with their remaining Singleton Wheel and Engineering entered Caddy now. Uh, people to Rani and Philippe Nasser. I mean, was that as yeah. close to perfect as you could get? Yes, to, to put it briefly, yes, it was. Uh, Pipo had the fastest lap of the race. Philippe was second in terms of fastest lap. The two drivers were impervious to the rest of the field. They, nobody could touch them. Nobody could get anywhere near the performance that they laid down. Uh, it was an interesting end to the race with it going into dusk. We did have a little bit of a fight back from the Wayne Taylor Racing Organization, the Konica Minolta Cadillac. But again, it was all about that 31 car. And we've long said that Pipo has something special with Sebring. Well, now Philippe's won twice in a row, too. Mm. So Felipe doesn't have too bad of a record going there either. Yeah, don't, uh, don't disagree with that. If you haven't caught up with that yet, uh, then make sure uh, that you catch our archives on that. Let's uh, quickly move forward a couple of weeks. John talking about the uh, potential for him even as a Chicago native of having to uh, having to quarantine on the way back from Road America, potentially. 32 entries for Road America. Entry list out this Wednesday. It's done in perfect time for us to discuss it on Midweek Motorsport. Thank you to IMSA Competition. Uh, the same eight... Uh, prototypes yes the same yep. eight prototypes one as... driver lineup difference though yep. chris miller resumes yes. his role in the jdc miller motorsports catalog so he's doing double duty this weekend because or next weekend i just did what john did um because he's also driving in the uh honda once again for la honda world simon trummer is listed in the pr1 matheson motorsport number 52 in the five again solid five entries for the Gibson engined LMP2 categories, uh, along with uh, Edric Edmund, Ben Hanley in the Dragon Speed car as well. Not sure if Simon yep. will be coming across, though. Uh, we haven't yet heard Simon was listed on the initial entry list for the previous race as well, but I do know that Simon loves Road America, so yes. if there's a race that he would come across for, I think it'd be that one. All conquering Corvettes, uh, two BMWs and two Porsches, no changes there. Uh, and then 13 GT Daytonas, and we welcome back, and this will gladden the heart, and that's a, <laughs> uh, that's a deliberate pun, uh, of... Uh, of all fans, particular Sarah up in cl- crew, Aston Martin are back with Heart of Racing. Yeah, and a driver lineup change for them. Roman DeAngelis is joined by Ian James, who's one of the team principals of Heart of Racing. He's also Roman's manager and a sports car driver for many, many years, won pretty much every race. I think he's won Sebring three times over. Uh, Ian joining, stepping in for Alex Roberas, who the last time I checked on Alex, he was still stuck somewhere off the coast of New Zealand, unable to travel away from there. So <laughs> we welcome back what, Ian. Is he in he a boat be... or something? When you say off the coast, oh, is he on a small island? Yep. Yep. No, he's he's on a boat. No he, uh, We talked at the test that he ran at at Sebring uh, what was that? Two weeks before the world shut down effectively in the U.S. And he was getting on an airplane that night to fly from Orlando to California to New Zealand to go be on a boat for what was expected to be about a week trip. He's now been out there since March 13th, effectively. <laughs> oh, 
Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, just looking down and no other major changes. Got to have a word about Catherine Leg. Good news from Catherine. She went through her surgery. Uh, didn't feel overly well after some meds caused a nas- nasty uh, reaction with her, but still uh, absolutely full of high spirits and was, was tweeting. Uh, I did notice... She was already tweeting uh, pictures of her scars and saying they add character. Uh, Eve's, yeah. Eve's took some pictures of her legs and is about to send them back to Kat and say it's never slowed her down, which is reasonable. <laughs> so that sounds like good news. Uh, prototype challenge. Uh, let's have a quick look at that. 30. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, in um, WeatherTech, we thought we were doing well to get somewhere near 30. 32, I think, is outstanding. Uh, for yeah. that event, for prototy- for uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge, 33, which is 21 in GT4, so that must be 12 in TCR. Yes, it is. What have you noticed there, Shea? Anything to uh, mention? Uh, yes, we're down one of the automatic racing Aston Martins. Right. The 09 uh, is not there, but we did regain the eight Audi R8 GT4 of McCann Racing. That's Britt Casey Jr. and Michael yeah. McCann. They ran at Daytona. Uh, we've had a driver change as far as windward racing is concerned. Russell Ward will be sharing his Mercedes with Billy Johnson, former Ooh. series champion. Welcome back to the series. Uh, really glad to have Billy back. Um, interesting to note, BGB Motorsports, yes, which is a that. team that runs a lot in Florida, have elected to run outside of the state of Florida. So Jan Halen and Thomas Collingwood will be making the trip up to Wisconsin. Uh, Chase Briscoe is in the PF Racing Ford Mustang. So that's going to be another fun car. That was Chad McCombie the last week. Um, Brent Mosing was back in Murillo Racing after Kenny Murillo made his series debut last time out. Robbie Foley and doing ju- double duty again with Bill Orbel and, and Finn Barletta, so they'll have to do the double car shuffle in the BMW <laughs> M4 GT4. New BMW M4 GT4 uh, broken cover uh, as well, by the way. Very interesting looking car, though I've not seen any pictures of the front of it yet. Uh, two, oh. Touring cars, anything there? Uh, Taylor Hagler makes her return ah, to excellent. the championship, which is good. She's been cleared after three negative tests of COVID-19. So she is welcome back. And I think that was the only change as far as yeah. that class goes. All good. All good. Uh, looking forward to that. America's National Park of Speed. Unclear yet whether we'll have spectators, even a small amount of spectators uh, or not. I really enjoyed the weekend at Sebring, just as a final point there and uh, it was you know racing was good the spectators seemed to enjoy themselves a lot of family groups there who were were clustered together obviously so uh, didn't need to do social distancing and the weekend seemed to run pretty well despite the potential of bad weather yeah no it it was a really uh, fun weekend for sure the red flag that was during the mpc race the michelin pilot challenge that definitely changed things. Uh, a lot of people, after waiting six months to go back to racing, then had to wait even longer for yeah. their turn behind the wheel of the car. Uh, we had the drive times adjusted, so that impacted oh, strategy. There you go. And that was another thing. There was a change. We mentioned this. A lot of people tweeting afterwards saying, oh, I've come back this morning, and the results change. That that was broken. and It was why the P2 car wasn't in line at Victory Circle. Because yes. because the lead, the winning car that went across the line, 
broke out of drive time. So PR1 Matheson, uh, the 52 car, was the the winner. But we, I'm pretty certain we reported that before we left our race program. Never mind Mission yes. Post Race Tech. No, we did. Uh, and Jeremy was unclear as to how close it was because That's other right. cars did pit on the same lap. It was 1.4 seconds no. for Henrik Hedman. So it's one of those situations where the drive time stops at pit in and it begins at pit out. If he had been, had someone on the wall been watching the clock and said, stop, 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 as John Bennett used to do frequently, it would have been fine. Or he could have done one more lap. All right, Shep, thank you very much indeed. Speak to you next week. All right, take care, guys. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Shea Adam joining us uh, for that US roundup tonight. And thanks to John DeGeese. Keep the tweets coming in at uh, Specutainment. Been a lot of talk about that Penske thing. Awful lot. Uh, Scott Third was saying thanks to, for discussing. What about another potential Utah motorsport? We used to go there back in the ALMS. Quite enjoyed uh, that going up there, with the, particularly with the long circuit, four and a half miles. Uh, do you think IMSA will do the right thing and avoid the raging contagion in the US by finishing the season in Canada, says Scooby-Doo? No. Can't, because they can't get across the border. Um, and all the Canadian teams have come south. They need to make endurance round of Road America six hours. Make it the Road America 500 again, says Jake. Don't disagree with that. I think it's a bit late for that now, with that race just a couple of weeks ago. Um... Uh, not sure what uh, John and others said about how uh, MSR not being able to run a private accurate because Penske had exclusivity. For the first three years of the programme, Tom, sorry, for at least the first two years, and I think possibly the first three years, part of the deal of Penske getting involved was that they were the only people who could run the cars. So it would not, they would not be given or, or sold to privateer teams. That was part of of the deal requested by Penske. Uh, it is my understanding uh, of that. I wonder how Penske would work in the LMDH rules. Uh, they say they have to be con- con- customer cars, but anyone who supplied cars to Penske had exclusivity charges. I can't see how that would be accommodated. It wouldn't be allowed, Dave, um, uh, necessarily. So that would be different, but that's not the case in, in D- C- DPI uh, at the moment uh nick damon is back with us good to have plenty of racing at the Didn't weekend go anywhere uh, uh, sorry he's back faded up with us there. <laughs> that's it yeah that's the one. all right let's rattle first of all through uh nick's look at the teams alpha tory hang on oh sorry um in the so the rest of the program is all down to one manufacturer for that we need nick damon because it's formula one it's not the same I have to ask for it no I have heard that you've, yeah you've, you've failed in your timness I mean, really Tim's got the link wrong for the last four weeks as well Alpha Tori what are we starting with Alpha Tori for because that's the last on the list Okay. Um, right, so we talked about the Hungarian Grand Prix, which took place last week um, with mixed conditions. I thought, should I, should I give it a little bit of a pricey no, first? No, do the teams first and then we'll go to the... Right, Alfa um, uh, Pierre Gasly had nothing but bad luck with powertrains the whole time. I think he had a complete change of powertrain after issues ended up... He actually ended up not taking part despite qualifying rather 
well, in fact, for the third part of qualifying. And then in the race, he gradually lost power, and then a huge plume of smoke came out the back. But I haven't heard, and no, no one said yet, whether that was gearbox or engine that's gone ping again. Kvyat didn't get the tyres he wanted at the start, and that cost him. Yeah, yeah. In fairness to Dan- Daniel, he actually said, I want the tyres. And he said, I want the tyres, uh, which will come up a bit later why, why that would have been fine. Uh, they said no, they made a mistake, and then he just got stuck in a very clustered midfield. And uh, Williams Mercedes. Uh, great qualifying. Twelfth uh, for George, fifteenth um, for Nick Latifi. So great for him to get out the uh, part one of qualifying. It's a bit easier when several of the cars haven't got any horsepower anymore because they've got Ferrari engines. Um, but uh, the race went horribly wrong for Russell. Got wheel spin off the line, went nowhere, and Latifi got tagged when he was unsafe released by um, in front of the McLaren of signs. And then he had a spin, and then it all went wrong, and he retired, and Russell chunted around at the back because the Williams, whilst qualifying better than the Ferrari engine cars, does not race better than them. No, indeed not. Alfa Romeo racing a Ferrari. Yeah, that, that, the, 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 that last word's the issue. Yeah, no power. <laughs> Giovinazzi. Giovin- Giovinazzi. The problem they've got there is... If I'm really honest with you, is that they are on a slippery slope to keep the Alfa Romeo money because of um, its around performance clauses. And as we all know, Alfa Romeo aren't doing brilliantly, unfortunately, despite producing some brilliant road cars. Um, Raikkonen is disappearing into a very happy dotage, and Giovinazzi's rubbish. Yes. Uh, what did we have? Kimi finished. Uh, Kimi finished fifteenth. Uh, Haas Ferrari. Uh, right. This is well. Haas obviously. Um, Made a fantastic strategic call to call their guys in on the first on the parade lap and switch them to the correct dry yes, tyres, which gave them fantastic track position. Um, Roman Grosjean was poor after that and disappeared backwards. So he said that was because he had some damage. Don't know. Kevin Magnussen was his feisty best mm. and uh, really, did, I thought an excellent job. But eventually, the basic lack of pace over an hour and forty minute Grand Prix means there's only so much you can do. So Magnussen, this conversation about if Perez gets booted out. Of, uh, of racing point, where is he going to go? Who's he going to replace? As we said yesterday, he's going to replace Grosjean because Magnus actually yeah. is pretty good. But of course, after he got ninth place, he got demoted to tenth place because of an archaic rule from 2016 about coaching, um, and they were which was designed to event them being coached for the actual start itself, with you know, engage clutch two, you know, and section seven off the actual start. Gave a blanket you co- rule saying so you can't have any coaching for the whole first lap, the uh, whole parade lap. Sorry, that was considered coaching, and they got a ten-second penalty, which everyone said was ridiculous. But it was because a, they called them in for tyres. Yeah, right. but it was a rule. Of, unfortunately, it's a rule, and it has to be enforced. But someone now needs to revoke that rule because it was stupid. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, Renault. Uh, Esteban Ocon has had three races, one of which has been good, two of which have been poor. Um, not sure whether, whether that's just because he's rusty or he's not as good as they said he was or he doesn't like the car. Uh, Danny Rick did really well, um, ran a good long um, second set. Well, obviously the first section was only a few few laps with the, with the intermediates. Ran well second section. Um, basically, I think, extracted as much out of a difficult package. And I think, was he eighth in the end or seventh? Uh, eighth, eighth in the end. Uh, McLaren Renault. Uh, very. After two brilliant races in Austria, this is kind of a real comeback to... Bump with a bang. No, particularly not particularly impressive in qualifying. Uh, Norris had an awful race. Sanz didn't have much better. They did finish ahead of him. Uh, one to forget, I think, really, you say for McLaren. Um, but they're now going to Silverstone. Were they much happier? They always said that the Hungarian ring would not suit their car and package. Scuderia Ferrari, not as bad as Austria. Still really bad. Um, Why can't you talk at that level all the Se- time? Seb Vettel. Um, 
well, uh, Charles Leclerc got uh, soft tyres which just don't work as a race tyre. Um, the reason he got them, it's fair enough, because if it had rained really quickly afterwards, they actually are more likely to hang on in damp conditions yeah. than the others. Uh, Seb made a big a big call for going for mediums, which actually helped him. Uh, I think in the end, uh, Leclerc was scrapping with Norris for like 13th or 14th, I think. And uh, it might have been 12th. And Vettel came in in 6th, he came in? Uh, Vettel came in sixth. Sixth, yeah. And well done. But he, he, unfortunately, despite doing really well, he did make a couple of, of errors on camera, both of which that Axe Albon passed. <laughs> yes, good point. Uh, Renault, we've done. That will take us to Racing Point BWT Mercedes. Racing Point BWT came fourth and seventh, um, which would have been, last year, um, a dream come true. However, they qualified third and fourth. And in many ways, it, despite being their best result of the season, it was a probably a disappointment, mostly on the on the side of Sergio Perez. Interestingly, after everyone said that you know, Lance Stroll is, is rubbish compared to Sergio, he actually completely outpaced him all weekend. Sergio said he wasn't feeling very well, which is possible. He was off the late laps. Um, and Perez got stuck early on after a bad start. <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> stuck on a bad... Stuck on a bad start and then got himself... Uh, about as far as he could with the various traffic. Uh, Lance Stroll, I think, settled for fourth, really. I don't think he pushed it very hard. I think he went, oh, I'm fourth place, I'll settle for that. Um, after you know, even taking a long time to get past Magnussen. Uh, that leaves us with uh, Mercedes. So you want Red Bull first, don't you? Well, Mercedes are next on the list. No, oh, you're going well, to the bottom up. Uh, okay, no, Red Bull. No, Red, right, Bull. Red Bull, um, yeah. terrible qualifying. Car has an inherent imbalance. Um, saw... Uh, Max Verstappen, who was pole last year, down in seventh. It also saw Albon down in nowhere, and everyone calling him, calling him Pierre Gasly, which he wouldn't have liked. Um, then, of course, Verstappen went to the grid and threw it off the track, broke the track arms. Everyone, oh no, they never replaced two bits of the front suspension in 22 minutes. Oh no, and, and anyone who's ever been to endurance race said, well, no problem at all. Well, anybody who's ever been to a Formula One race and taken notice of what's going on, they're going to change that between first qualifying and second qualifying. Yeah, but that's an hour and a half, not 20 minutes. No, first qualifying and second qualifying. They could have changed it within the session if he'd gone off right and oh, yeah, stopped yeah, and got the yeah, car yeah. back. But it, it's, it, it makes a good story. But, and well done to him because it isn't easy to do those sort of things on the grid. And he had to do it on the grid because he poured in the pits. He couldn't come back out again. So, you know, that was a good rescue from a poor position. He I presume they would have had a corner built up. Yes, all, all the parts are preset. So they didn't have to re-string it, it. It wasn't a corner in the end. It was just a push rod and a... Um, Steering on, so they would have had that preset, yes, so it didn't it even yeah. Everyone's going, the toy. oh, I can't believe this wasn't even stringing. I'm going, well, you just these parts are made of thousands of millimeters. Just put, you just undo and put them back together again. I, I, it does <laughs> slightly worry me the the very limited amount of technical knowledge um, some of the people working in the Formula One paddock and broadcasting have. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Well, I know, you, but but you know, in all honesty, I think you know you need to get a, a lot of these people haven't. You know, it viewed an awful lot of other motorsport where things happen. You know, on the whole, if a car in F1 breaks a part of its car during the race process, it gives up. You know, you're not doing what we're doing, which is seeing endurance races where, all right, that's a bit of a problem. We've lost 25 minutes, but there's still another 23 and a half hours to go. You know, so I think it's just just difference on that front. Uh, yeah, and then then Verstappen drove very very well um, and got himself into second place by being, um, well, just making the most of. Uh, the error that Valtteri Bottas made at the start, where he didn't get a jump start penalty, much like um, 
said Vettel didn't get well in Japan because whilst he moved, he didn't jump the start. He didn't but cross he wasn't the outside, timing beam. Crucially, he wasn't outside of his box. No, it's it's. It, I don't know why everyone thought he was going to get a penalty. It obviously wasn't. It was exactly the same as Vettel's movement, and, he, and it's not like he didn't suffer for it. Oh, he, was, he, he got engulfed. Awful so you kind of go, all right, you know, yeah, it's not, he, yeah, the, you know, obviously he is the person who had a a jump start which he didn't get because it was like within the thousands of it being a jump start even though his reaction time remember in Austria about three years ago when his reaction time was faster than it could possibly really have been but still was in the tolerance allowed by the timing system anyway that wasn't a jump start that was bogged down boom and then up about seventh and came back from the tyres um, given hard tyres and 20 laps to get past Verstappen exactly the same as um, Lewis was last year and couldn't do it because he's not as good as Lewis Basically. His drive back to Verstappen was pretty good. But no, from... it wasn't pretty good, John, no, because he missed right. it by two laps. And quite frankly, if anyone doesn't think that Hamilton would have gone sailing past Verstappen four laps earlier, they, mm. they don't know about the difference in the two drivers. And no, I difference... thought his drive back to Verstappen was all right. I no. thought once he got to Verstappen, he seemed to lose lose any... There, there is a problem here, John. And for, just finish with Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton was, uh, once again, imperious yeah. and won it with... So much in hand. He used Despite 20- having a dodgy engine, apparently, it was it was bogging it was bogging down too much on the um, the opening lap, and he thought it was going to anti stall. I think it, you know these things. Well, they were panicking, of course, but because of what happened at Red Bull Ring. Yes, and um, yes, anyway, but but basically, he drove brilliantly. Um, he managed to get the stop, and he managed to get the extra point for fastest lap, and he was doing the whole thing as a managed event, basically. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I think you know that was that was. Just really great driving by Lewis. I mean, you know, it, but the the thing about Valtteri, well, I don't think Valtteri's comeback drive was particularly good because in the past, the last few three or four years, we knew who the top six were going to be when they started. It was going to be the two Ferraris, the two Red Bulls, and the two Mercedes. And there was a, occasionally a, a a you know a variance. I'm afraid in at the moment until Red Bull sort out sort out the error imbalance, we know who's going to be first and second. And if you can't become second in a car which should be first or second, you failed. And I think Bottas realised he's failed, and uh, Lolly's body language was, um, oh, what am I going to do about this bloke Hamilton who's now in the lead of the championship on great form and about to do two races at home track? Uh, Alexander Orkin says, uh, is it a lack of knowledge that, uh, of which you were speaking uh, earlier, or is it the ever-present need, stroke requirement, stroke instruction to have headlines uh, and jeopardy? Fair point. But I do think... Having watched an awful lot of Formula 3, Formula 2 and Formula 1 recently, and I'm not picking anybody out by name because that would be unfair, but I have seen an awful lot on my screen at home and I realise that some of the commentators aren't at the track as well, by the way. It's only the F1 commentators that are at the track. But I, I do think that there is a basic underlying lack of technical knowledge not about the individual cars, but about motor racing in general that some of the broadcasters have, which is, for me, unacceptable. But then again, I'm a bobble hat, and, and I know what blanking is on uh, on brake ducts, which would make brakes overheat, etc. Can't argue that point. Mm. Um, and I'm looking at you, Carlin. Um <laughs> <laughs> That's not sorry. That's not a commentator called Carl Lynn. That's the team Carlin. <laughs> yeah, no, Carl Lynn, who you've never heard commentating on anything. Uh, but other than that, he's kind of all right. <laughs> um, uh, Hungaro Ring is 
super spectacular in qualifying. Some of the onboard shots. Uh, Lewis's onboard shot yeah, for turn a, four. He's a quick Just monkey, isn't he? Absolutely brilliant. But again, it's one of those circuits that doesn't necessarily race well nowadays. Although, in fairness, in F3 and F3, it did. I don't think it raced that badly. I mean, most people, there wasn't a lot of blocking or holding up. I mean, the one thing I will say about, about, about Lewis, regardless of the reasons why, the car looks brilliant in black. Yeah. Really looks, <laughs> it looks really, really good. Have they changed the... I, I said this before, and I still don't know the answer. It seems to me that the stars are brighter than the first time we saw it. I think that might have been I, the second I think they, race. They've done a little bit of, of, of tweaking. They've also made sure it's more obvious where the Nicolada Red Star is as well. Yeah. Um, you talked about the rake on the Red Bull. Yes. It was very, very... And again, this comes down to you know a little bit of naughtiness. But there's got to be a point whereby the centre of pressure on the car... And also, the, if not the centre of gravity, at least where the balance point of the car is, is affected by that rake. And particularly when, you know, fine, when it's in its rear and doing what it's meant to be. But ultimately, it does get pressed down. But that means it's got to come back up again. Yeah. And as it's coming back up again, there's an inherent instability in the back of that car. And when you look at both Racing Point and Mercedes... Racing Point having adopted the Mercedes style of thing, well, rearranged, which means it doesn't need the rake. That car sits and squats. And when you ask for power on that car, particularly in medium to fast corners, it just looks, along with the Mercedes, a more stable platform. It almost looks like it's longer because it's, it's, it's just sitting there. Yeah, I mean, the thing to remember is that Racing Point is the Mercedes. Um, to all intents and purposes from last year because the point you've made which I think not many people realise it's got the Mercedes rear suspension um, because it's got the Mercedes gearbox and um, there was no point in re- redesigning totally fine yeah. it's a part you're allowed to have um, and therefore it is running what's called low rake low rake is where the um, the ride height at the front is not much different from the ride height at the rear the ride height at the rear is always slightly higher they always run with a slight, uh, their nose pointing down I'm not Adrian Newey I'm not an aerodynamic genius um, and, and, but he, and he has pioneered the high rake effect now the high rake effect um, is the concept that you actually gain extra um, negative pressure on into the car by using the, the basic gap but you do need to have a very very good seal around the front wing to make it work mm. And therefore, it is naturally slightly more pitch sensitive and bump sensitive. And it does appear that Red Bull have got their numbers wrong somewhere because currently have an unstable car. Now, what a lot of people are saying is, again, people cleverer than me, so this is not my idea, the stuff I've been gleaning, is it may be down to the effect of the change of the front wheel angles. And the front wheel angle, if you think about the air going the front wheel straight, it's very different to the front wheel angle going over where it's actually turned. And that obviously affects the seal and the wing, and the seal and the wing is the key point for the rake to work. Well, and it's very unlikely that they've ever put that in a... It's not really meant to go sideways, is it? Uh, and yet, F1 cars do go sideways quite a lot. And the aero and how much air bleeds off the aerodynamic surfaces, particularly when you're using the whole body as an aerodynamic surface, as a high-rate car has to do, the spill off the... Effectively, the trailing edge of the car as it's sliding sideways has a massive effect. Uh, and I remember going back to 2001 when I was working at RML. We put rally cars, full-size rally cars. We found a wind tunnel that had a turntable in it so we could test it at various angles of yaw to see what that did to the aero over the car. Now, 
I'm sure that they can do that in Formula One. I just wonder whether they do do that in Formula uh, One. Yeah, but the thing to remember is also the front suspensions are so clever now that not only are they turn left and right, they also will pull the car down in slower corners to to get you know, extra downforce. So they're not just going a kind of left and right. There's an adjustment to ride height. All this plays across both the seal and the aero surfaces. It's incredibly complex, and it does appear that by going to very extreme rake, which does theoretically give you an advantage, you then bring up so many difficulties with imbalances a, a multitude of other things I wanted to talk about but we're running out of time but I do want one very quick uh, question I'd ask you a very quick question in the comment from you Kravenik thrown out of their date at Imola oh. in, in November oh. uh, in October excuse me early October uh, 9th 10th and 11th um, or at 9th and 10th and 11th mm, yeah. um, uh, because they need the noisy days for something else yeah. we've got uh, Copa Florio at Enapagusa. What's going to go to Imola? In the next few days, China will be officially called off and the money is on Nürburgring, Portimao and Imola being announced. Nürburgring, not Hockenheim, which is a massive surprise. I've been reading that in two or three different places. So you heard it here first. China off and Nürburgring, Imola, uh, sorry, Nürburgring Portimao, Imola to be announced is the big thing. So we're literally just staying in Europe before we go to the Middle East. Mm. Uh, Nick Damon was joining me in the studio tonight. We've stayed socially distanced. Hope you're feeling fit and well and remain so. We'll be back at the same time next week. But for the moment, uh, there's no time to explain uh, because the Llama is going to a high rake specification. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.